VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar, and today I'm joined by our podcast producer, Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hello. Sherlyn is off this week taking a well-deserved break. Everybody send her your well wishes. Uh, We will be talking about Meta and the Metaverse, Facebook's branding redesign, the whole new internet that they're talking about, the sort of like virtual reality internet. There's a lot of stuff going on there. My big question is whether or not you can put out your house fire by changing your address, because that seems like something they're trying to do here. Absolutely. It's kind of fishy, isn't it? As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. And, uh, you know, if you're liking what we're doing, please uh, drop us a line uh, at podcastengadget.com. Now on to our big story of the week, Um, Facebook renaming itself as Meta and really emphasizing that it's focusing on the metaverse, whatever that is. We'll we'll explain that in a bit. Joining me to talk about that is Engadget Senior Editor Jessica Condit. Hey, Jess, how's it going? Hello. Good to be here. I know you've been thinking about the metaverse, or at least for the past two years, because I remember your piece uh, that you wrote in 2019, if Facebook owns reality, it'll be impossible to opt out. What was your first thought after Facebook uh, (laughs) announced this and showed us their pitch for the metaverse? Right. So I I had actually forgotten that I'd written that piece. It was 2019. (laughs) You sent me that. As we do. As we do. It's really easy to write something and be like, oh, what? what? That was a hot take. That was a fugue state. That was was a classic hot take. I wrote about it. I forgot about it. But I absolutely, I reread it and I was like, yes, I agree with myself still. Um, Mm -hmm. Because honestly, when I was watching the metaverse presentation last week, um, I was having the same feelings, especially when Facebook started talking about exploring history. And Facebook is going to create, Mm -hmm. recreate history for people to walk around in. Um, That to me was just a complete like encapsulation of the fears that I have when it comes to (laughs) Facebook literally building reality. We already have in this in this country and others an issue with presenting history the way it happened in a full Who's picture. History Who's history? Exactly. Yeah. I do not want to live in Facebook's history. I do not want to live in their reality. I don't trust Facebook to build history in a way that accurately represents, I mean, anything truly. And I think Facebook has proven time and time again that we can't trust them with these kinds of responsibilities. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was horrified. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> <laughs> Horrified seems like the, the the hot take factory post the meta announcement, I think, showed how people feel about Facebook right now. Uh, perhaps their timing was bad because we're in the middle of the Facebook papers dropping. There's a lot of reporting going on about how irresponsible Facebook is as a company um, and kind of the way they prioritize user growth and metric growth and profits over, you know, over keeping people safe uh, time and again. Mm-hmm. Well, and truly, so, yeah. and just like not, I mean, truly instigating violence and and hate and I mean, truly real world physical impacts that this that this platform has. And it just seems like, I mean, Zuckerberg and all of them are not willing to reckon with that at, in any in any way that feels uh, responsible to me. It reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where they like destroyed Springfield. Yes. Right. And then. <laughs> The only thing they could do, it was, it was the garbage man one, yeah. Uh, the only thing they could do was, like, pick up Springfield and just move it, like, 10 miles down the road. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's too hard to fix things. It's easier to move on to whatever the new thing is. And it, it is funny. Like, uh, let, me, let me give you guys a little context here. Like, before Facebook announced this stuff, I sat down for a press briefing with, like, Zuckerberg and some of the people. And they pitched this idea of the metaverse, right? And 
it was interesting, like at that point, Zuckerberg was saying, we don't want to own the metaverse. We don't want to be our thing. And I think um, looking at the presentation from the name change day and everything, like looking at that Connect presentation, it just seemed like they want to build this playground for everybody to escape to, even though that's like exactly the opposite of what they were pitching to us before, too. It's it's kind of both ways, but let's talk about like so. What what is the metaverse, right? Do you do you have a sense of like what Facebook's metaverse is, Jess, or should I just dive into like what I think at this point? I mean, you go for it because like so. The article mm-hmm. we're looking at now, Dan's article, "What Even Is the Metaverse?" That was my question yep. after the presentation. What even is it? Um. So mm-hmm. yeah, Devinder, why don't you explain it to me, please? Like I'm sure. Two, so like I'm two. <laughs> if you saw the Zuckerberg presentation, you would think like the metaverse is this thing where you're in VR all the time and you're hanging out with your friends and you're going to parties and you're surfing in VR and doing stuff. And maybe it'll be that eventually. But at at its core, the idea of the metaverse is sort of like an embodied Internet that you could jump in and out of. You can experience on multiple devices. You're maybe a little more connected to it than you are now, you know, with a smartphone or with a PC. Uh, the easiest way of thinking of like what the metaverse could be, and I think this is actually going to happen, is just like whatever is going to happen following the mobile internet. You know, um, think of how much our lives changed post two thousand seven, after the iPhone, after like smartphones became a thing, after cell phone networks got really, really uh, fast and allowed us to do a lot of things. Our lives have fundamentally been reshaped in the past 10 plus years. You know, you try to tell somebody about the way we live technologically now, somebody in 2006, it would seem like a fantasy, right? You mean you have supercomputers in your pockets and your internet is fast enough to like stream high quality, better than HD video and And things like that. Finally. And games like, yeah. And you could do things remotely. And But on the other hand, we also had a significant amount of buildup and momentum toward the moment of the smartphone changing everything. We We had personal communication. There was a strive toward being more connected and more available to people more often Mm -hmm. with beepers and then like the huge brick phones. That that wasn't a strive. Like, here's the thing. Like, I, I was there. I was there, everybody. We were, mm-hmm. we were all there. Those of us on the on the podcast, we were there. Um, it was very limited, wasn't it? It was limited. It was Be- limited, but it was yeah. something that people wanted. Do mm-hmm. people? Is there a general desire for VR or a general desire for metaverse? Right I think, now, well, so I don't think so. Going I don't back, really. going back to like I what the did. smartphone era was, though. I don't. Could you predict? Could you predict that right. pretty much everybody on the planet would want a screen in their pocket? Looking at the state of like cell phones as they were pre-2005 or the state of beepers, they all they all felt like jokes, right? We we just made fun of them because and Bluetooth earpieces and stuff. We made fun of them because it was new tech and it was like ugh, destabilizing our reality. Now everybody has AirPods, you know, everybody has basically wireless earbuds too. So well it's it's hard to look to the future. And even, based on what yeah. we know so far. Yeah. Even like mm-hmm. outside of hardware, if we look at apps, TikTok, try explaining TikTok yep. to my high school self. Somebody in 2010. I, yeah. yeah. It's even. not, it wouldn't compute. Um, and it's, so it's more that I think Facebook has the, the market power to thrust mm-hmm. this onto the public. And that's the scary part is they actually have the resources to make something like this happen. I for think sure, there's, sure. there's definitely, there is, a next step after the internet, you know, like there is a next space where we congregate and where, where, where life happens. Cause right now it's the internet, but it will not be this all the time. So I think it's smart of these companies to be building things like a metaverse. And yes, we don't understand it now, but we will, we absolutely will be. We didn't understand here. the internet in the nineties. Exactly. Like that, that's the thing. Exactly. And to me, that was always the most fun, right? Like I was in anime and video game chat rooms and we were just dicking around and we didn't know like and one day i saw an animated gif and it changed my life forever you know like (laughs) stuff just happened and people experiment with things i was building web pages with you know really dorky aliases and stuff um that experimenting led to i think was much more exciting than the sort of like corporatized internet we have right now where we're dominated by facebook and google and apple and microsoft honestly but to your point ben you you raise a good point do you think everybody's going to want to be in VR? I don't. But I also don't think um, I don't think that's going to be the only way the metaverse exists. So that's, that's I mean, the broader people point. People were mm-hmm. similarly uh, 
a buzz when uh, Google Glass first came out. Ooh. I remember having some very in-depth conversations mm -hmm. with people on Reddit. People were like, this is going to be the next big thing. This is going to be the next smartphone. And then it wasn't. But it never... Because I don't mm -hmm. think that mm -hmm. people, like... <laughs> Nobody wanted it. I don't it. know if we're... Yeah. Nobody wanted it. Nobody yeah. wanted it. And I don't... I still don't know if people want such a pervasive thing that takes you away. Yes, people spend a ton of time on their phones. If you're on any kind of public transit or in any area where people might be waiting, people are always looking at their phones. But it's something that you can break out of relatively easily you can look up you can stand up and you know go to the you know when you're finally called into the doctor's office or when you're finally going to get on your train i think it's significantly different with the current way that vr works no one is going to bring their oculus headset right outside of their home but we're, we're not talking about just vr like we've we've talked about ar we've talked about augmented reality we just but talked it doesn't about, seem yeah. like ar is quite there yet either because mm -hmm. i mean but you could see how uh, it could be pretty soon that's like, relatively that's the thing. soon that's the thing yeah. Truly. Yeah. it's hard yeah. to take 10-year bets with all with a lot of this tech because we often have big technological leaps that nobody expected right i think a lot of what apple did with the iphone was like just bringing together a lot of things already happening but doing it in a way that was different and unique and wasn't just following like, you know, building a smartphone that was owned by carriers and that the carriers determined any, you know, everything. Uh, there are these big shifts that end up happening. Um, to your point, Ben, I hear you. I, I think you're absolutely right. And Google Glass, especially, you have to look at these things like how much how much do people hate it? You know, how much is the public revulsion against this thing versus how useful it is for some people? And Google Glass was just not there. And that's why it like died well, so early. Yeah. And and we, we were just like, no, but go, go ahead, Jess. Well, it's I think it's also less about what do consumers want. It's more about what advertisers want. I mean, this is what sure. Facebook's all about. Like, yeah, it has the users. It has our data. So it's now on the second stage, which is just using it and selling it and creating a place where people can make money. So like if brands, this is the scary part to me is that's Facebook is a big yeah. brand. They can partner with big brands. And it's exactly the opposite of what you described of with the the birth of the internet, where it felt freeform. It felt like everyone was kind mm -hmm. of figuring it out. And these these big names have spawned from that. And now those those companies, those organizations are going to be the ones putting together this new system. Mm -hmm. There's always a bit of that. It's a capitalistic society. I understand we're all ruled by our, our overlords that way. <laughs> but this is a very specific way where we can see it being built and we can see these companies that I truly don't trust. I don't think a lot of other people trust um, and like trying to trying to do this. And that sure. that's what worries me. It's the it's yep. not about yep. what yep. we want. It's about what advertisers want. It's about what makes money. And, that's and they, they absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that might end up sinking it, at least in the near term. Mm -hmm. I think that the idea of like connecting with people via VR chat and everything else, that is absolutely going to become a thing. But it may be that Facebook is the first mover drawn by advertisers. And then when you take your first tiny steps into Facebook's metaverse, if it feels like advertisers are already living there and it doesn't feel like a new world where at least for a little while users really rule and they can make whatever they want and they can do absolutely insane things and then eventually companies come and um, start doing something with it, it won't work. The users need to be there first, and they need to be doing absolutely crazy things that bring more people in. Because we, actually, we just talked about TikTok. That is the arc of TikTok. TikTok was, and it still is, an absolute zoo in some places. My For You page, sometimes I yeah, the yeah. first thing that Madness. I open is absolutely wild. Um in a really amazing or really, you know, ribald and blue, you know, just kind of uh, mm -hmm. uh, middle school humor, but I'm still laughing at it sort of way. And it was that that drew so many people in. And then eventually advertisers started doing things and, mm -hmm. you know, it might get less fun from there. Let's be clear. TikTok was not fully organic. TikTok was like a, a literal nuclear oh, yeah. bomb no, they... of algorithmic power from one of the biggest companies in China. Like TikTok, 
they and they, they also purchased yeah. their they purchased their market share. Yeah. They bought yeah. musically where a lot of like middle school and early high school yeah. kids were, and so that app aged up mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. But to, to what we're talking about. I do. We may see a sort of like inverse of what happened in the 90s with the Internet, right? Because most people didn't just start using the Internet. Most people started using AOL or Prodigy or something. So I I came onto the Internet the first time through AOL. And we all a lot of us in the early Internet got to know this new cyberspace uh, through the lens and the very limited lens of a lot of these corporate, you know, the these big companies. So. AOL's internet wasn't completely open. It was very limited. But I do remember the day I like I like downloaded Netscape Navigator, I think. I think it was Mosaic at the time. And it just worked. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have to deal with AOL's crappy web browser. I could just like go here and do something else entirely. Um, I feel like we're getting to that point, right? Like Facebook and Microsoft, as we'll talk about, and Google certainly, like all these companies are going to want to start building around the metaverse um, as the next stage of the internet. And that makes complete sense. I just hope that we get, we get the world where there's a certain level of freedom too, because the era that the internet of the nineties only existed because of government research projects and academics, you know, working together to build something that was very collaborative. Now we're, we're not going to have that level of support right now. It's just all corporate. There is no like decentralized internet, um, I hope you're I hope saying that something. you hope that we get the world that we wish for, but how yeah. unlikely is that? Jess, do you want to tell us about Snow Crash, please? <laughs> well, okay. I actually real real fast like the when Ben, when you were talking about like this democratized space where you can build this this metaverse yourself, almost all I could think of was was gaming, and I think that gaming is a place where we see creators coming together, building universes, you know, collaborating, all that, all that stuff. There's a lot of, uh, especially like Epic Games is pushing a lot of like, you know, open source and just like, please use our tools mm-hmm. situations. I mean, I Minecraft right like now yeah. is, mm-hmm. is a great example. Minecraft and Fortnite, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I see a lot of that coming from gaming, but again, bunch of big corporations, bunch of billion dollar, you know, corporations running things. Uh, I don't know. It's a little better than Facebook. But uh, Snow Crash, <laughs> did you see? Snow Crash is bad. Did you see Neil Stevenson's tweet where he was like, "I have nothing to do with Meta. This was not me. Yes, they stole my my word, but that was it. Like name. That was well. It. Also, it's like, by the way, Neil Stevenson was uh, a, a creative partner for like a a basically a huge flop of a company for Magic Leap. Uh, he was like chief creative officer. That company earned hundreds of yeah. millions of you know in funding and flopped and is sort of like trying to revive itself but even neil stevenson like couldn't help but <laughs> cash in on the eventual like metaverse apocalypse basically yeah of course but yeah. the yeah. thing that i think a lot of people find disconcerting about the parallels between facebook and its obligations to advertisers its obligations to make money and the world that we saw in Snow Crash Mm -hmm. is that the idea, the dream of, um, you know, a second life electronically should remove some of the inequities of meat space, so to speak. But Snow Crash is all about how the inequities of the real world meat space just are projected onto the metaverse in a weird and kaleidoscopic way. Sometimes it's way, way, way more pronounced. In other ways, it's a bit less pronounced because uh, the main character, literally named hero protagonist, is not very wealthy, Mm -hmm. but he was a first mover in the metaverse, which means that he has actually a higher status online than he does in real life. Yeah, I mean, clap that 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 already exists. By yeah, the way, the, like let's that's our life. It fully that's where we live right now. Um, you look at Twitter influencers or YouTube influencers or Instagram influencers or anybody. It's it's just kind of like that. Um, I, I think seriously, thing the metaverse is not going to be one thing. We are slowly just dipping, like we're getting in there. It is like the ocean ahead of us, and we are like taking steps through the sand to get there. Um, 
there's there's going to be so much I, to talk about. But yeah, yeah. I wish it wasn't called the metaverse. It's. I mean, if this is the because it's just it's bad. Mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds cheesy. I don't know. Thank you, Zach. Hello. I mean, is it is it the cyberspace? Like we don't talk about cyberspace, right? It feels anymore. like that. It feels yeah. like an outdated yeah. term, like the metaverse. Like we're going to be making fun of this. We're already making fun of it. But like, God, give it yeah. ten years, yeah. we're going to be like, wow, we thought that was cool. We didn't. We never mm-hmm. thought it was cool. Like yeah. everybody, let's let's um, let's go to cyberspace, baby. Let's surf the web. Surf the uh, I'm web. thinking of like those '90s videos people did, um, like friends actors did, like explaining oh, Windows yeah. 95 yeah. to people. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of where we are right now. So maybe the metaverse will be that thing we make fun of, but it's all going to be the internet. The internet is not going to die, people. And the question is like, how do we how do we engage with that? And I think that remains to be seen. But they. If you've been following the Engadget podcast, think about everything we've talked about up until now. We talked about Facebook's, those Ray-Ban glasses that had cameras in them. And I immediately thought, like, we are not ready for this as a society. We've talked about, like, AR games like Pokemon Go and things like that and Minecraft Earth. And that is stepping a lot of people into the idea that there's a layer, you know, a layer of digital reality around their actual reality. And we haven't talked about Minecraft that much, but Minecraft and Fortnite. Kids exist. Kids live in those worlds. And uh, yeah. Roblox. Minecraft, mm-hmm. Fortnite, Roblox. Roblox, which was down for several days. Yeah. And like all the teens and like tweens in my life were just like freaking out yep. because it was like they were disconnected from their like, you know, drug machine. So, mm-hmm. and so, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that ends up being the question like, do you want to um, strap in to Roblox? Because the social aspect of Ro- of Roblox mm-hmm. and the social aspect that people, uh, I think, still don't give enough credence to, uh, like the social aspect of um, Fortnite that people still don't give enough credence to, it's not just running around on, on an island shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a way for people to hang out. Sure. And it's a way of, like, I think that there are middle school lunch tables, but in... Um, Fortnite, mm-hmm. especially during the pandemic, there were you would see little groups of kids like in fields and wonder why like there's one just sitting <laughs> alone, <laughs> and that's basically the internet equivalent of eating eating lunch in the bathroom oh, <laughs> or eating lunch yeah. in the library. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, all this stuff it, it is all about people and how we communicate. So. If we're talking about the future of the internet, like that's the thing we got to go to. I will say the thing I I find most frightening about Facebook's pitch so far is they're like, we're just building the virtual economy, man. You're just going to have, we just want to sell you the stuff for your avatars, which will follow you around the world. I feel like that stuff is superfluous, but look at the app economy. Look at like how much, how much people spending a couple bucks on apps in a you know for their phones it has basically become a power, a towering influence. Could you imagine uh, like yeah. mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it's glasses if it's somehow through your smartwatch if it's your phone but walking around and seeing digital artifacts on people and mm-hmm. being able to mm-hmm. see, yeah it's like it's gosh that's such a big economy in games is just like you know accessories and microtransactions Man, if, like that that's huge. People I, are saying that that could be a future oh, for NFTs. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I see and that. No, it's hard to make fun of uh, the metaverse talk now when like people are literally frothing at the mouth and throwing millions of dollars at at JPEGs. Yeah. You know, so here we are. Every, everything's <laughs> messed up, guys. We, do, we don't know. We cannot predict this future. I will say if I could have like a cool Gundam like <laughs> uh, AR <laughs> thing trailing me um, or like the cool uh, I think of like how Fantasy Star Online let you like equip your armor and just look like super cool and have like digital wings behind you or something like yeah, yeah. i would do that that'd be fun why not so before we finish up with uh, this conversation let's hit another couple of news points which mm-hmm. includes that the oculus brand is going away yes. what do we think about that bye. uh very sad it bye <laughs> it, it's a shame i i think like in talking palmer lucky doesn't care palmer lucky palmer is lucky rich and no one cares about giving palmer money lucky. to republicans well yeah. palmer Lucky's out there trying to uh, stop illegal immigrants good yeah. good job Palmer Lucky. Um, but yeah, Oculus is one of the few... I don't want building my future, by the way. Just saying. Exactly. Saying. Exactly. Right. So it's it's kind of a good thing that the Oculus brand is going away just because it's still tied to Palmer Lucky. But just in using this stuff and knowing the VR community, uh, Oculus has a lot of goodwill as a brand that Facebook never did. It also seems like the rebrand to Meta is kind of a way of 
running away from, oh, nobody wants, you don't want a Facebook account on your VR headset? We're so sorry. Um, next year, you'll just use a meta account. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. It's just our name now. So a lot of it is just, uh, a lot of this is kind of subterfuge on Facebook's part. And we mentioned this, um, the timing does not seem great that Facebook is doing this amid like all this controversy. Uh, from talking to people at Facebook, it sounds like they've been talking about the metaverse for years. Like this was a pitch that was coming down the line. I think the specific timing wasn't great, especially when like the company hasn't fully responded to a lot of the reporting from the Facebook paper. Mm -hmm. So we'll be keeping on all this stuff. Uh, I just think it's worth, uh, it's worth like seeing where the internet is going. And uh, Facebook is not the only person talking about this or not the only company talking about this uh this week microsoft also held its second ignite conference for the year it's kind of a developer conference uh, for them and also something for the corporate space and they also talked a lot about the metaverse and this is also something microsoft has been referring to for years like that's what hololens is hololens is letting you see a layer of digital you know digital stuff on top of the real world um I think Microsoft was really smart to push HoloLens into more of a corporate thing right now. So HoloLens has actually been a big success. You don't see anybody walking around with it like on the street, but in certain businesses in places where people need to like repair an airplane, you know, engine or something like really highly technical fields, people use HoloLens as a way to like say, oh, this is how these components connect together. Or they use it as a way to like video chat with a colleague that's remote who's like looking up stuff from a manual so they can help that person on the field. So HoloLens has been a big success in the metaverse, but so far that metaverse has been entirely corporate and uh, just not not exactly something people even know about. Well, I uh, think that's the uh, way to do yeah. it, though. Honestly, like that. Yeah. This is yeah. smart. Uh, this is a way to test the technology, get it into real real world situations, and I mean. I think consumer uh, commercial customers are the only ones that can kind of afford the tech <laughs> to to really push that, you know, to really hit what HoloLens is trying to do. It costs a thousand dollar headset. It's yeah. a lot of yeah, money. Several so, thousand dollars. so it makes sense mm -hmm. to target that audience. Yeah. Earlier this year, too, I talked about something called uh, Microsoft Mesh. The, the, this is a thing. It's like it's like a holographic platform for having meetings with coworkers and stuff. Um, and they to demo it, they sent me a Hololens two. I sat down, and in my home office here, um, several other journalists and Microsoft representatives just appeared, and they were holographs in my living space. I was able to like turn and hear them. It was very like natural and organic. I thought that was really cool. We didn't hear anything much about that platform until this week when they announced Mesh for Teams, which is also sort of like getting that idea into Microsoft Teams, which is an app people already use. So with Mesh for Teams, you'll be able to create a, a 3D avatar and have that pop up in video chats, which could be useful for those days when you just don't want to turn on your camera. That's all of us. Like I don't, I'm tired of turning on my camera, but also it's kind of like kind of rude sometimes or maybe it feels like you're not engaged with the conversation if you have your video off this is a way to kind of uh circumvent that um it, it's kind of cool I, I, companies will be able to create their own 3d spaces as well for people to like hang out <laughs> on teams with their avatars um and eventually they'll even be able to like custom design their their own spaces entirely so your office lunchroom or your office like hangout spot can be perfectly represented in the 3D world. I don't know if any of this is going to be good or real, but it's it's cool that Microsoft is playing with this. However, mm -hmm. that is something that I love. Yes. One of my favorite yes. discoveries of the last year, especially the pandemic year. Um, every year, I really like going to this radio conference in Chicago. Mm -hmm. We weren't able to do it because especially like radio people are very, you know, kind and gentle folks. So they're like, oh, if one person, even one person gets sick, we would feel really bad. And so we decided to do a virtual conference via a platform called Gather.Town. Um, and Gather.Town was amazing. It felt really like it felt like a totally new experience because it was proximity based video. So you could have that same 
um, experience that I was talking about with like little groups of people in digital space. It's a top-down view with little avatars. It kind of looks like Pokemon or it's any other top-down yeah. like yeah. eight or sixteen-bit thing. Mm -hmm. But you only have access to other people's video feeds. They only have access to your feeds mm -hmm. if you get close enough to them. I have, and like, you a can also like bubble. yeah yes, mm -hmm. and you can also edit how large your bubble is. Mm -hmm. So. If you really want to talk to anyone who might be passing by, you can make your <laughs> radius really, really big. Or you have the option to make it, you know, only slightly bigger than your little avatar. And then also you can like sit at little tables. Um, you know, there are like two top tables where no one will be able to hear whatever mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. that you're having. But they can see that you're in world and maybe like wait around in the same room to talk to you. It felt the most like actual like waiting around I, I hope you know i can catch this person's attention yeah, for yeah. a couple seconds at notice a conference. me senpai yeah <laughs> well no but but in the good way in uh -huh. the like yeah, oh yeah, there's yeah. my friend i you know let me catch their attention before they go off it's like being in a real else. party like that whole awkwardness of it yeah you know what I didn't know how much I missed that awkwardness. Yes. So maybe that's the note that we can end on. Mm -hmm. There are ways to make VR and socializing via digital spaces yep. feel real and feel um, authentic we to are, people. We are social Whether creatures. or not we want, yep. yes, and whether or not we want advertisers to control that is a whole other question. Yep. So I think, I think a lot of us are just rejecting the idea of the Facebook metaverse uh, TM, but the idea of the metaverse, the idea of a more connected internet. I've talked about um, doing Sundance in VR this year and uh, doing South by Southwest. And both of those were like really intriguing experiences where I could walk around and like a, you know, kind of uh, experience things almost like I was there. I could go talk to people. Um, there's good and bad to it. Sundance was really cool. And I had like a great social experience with people. South by was really sad and lonely, I think, because there was kind of like nobody there. So... Again, just like real life, I think like it is very to feel you can even feel alone in a virtual space. And I think you're going to get some of that. But we are social creatures. You the rise of social media comes about because we have to keep talking and engaging with each other. So something is going to happen around the metaverse. This is not just like a pipe dream. It may not be the the CG demo that Facebook has, uh, you know, made over this past year over this past week but it's going to be something interesting and it's going to connect us in whole new different ways hopefully we'll still be around to talk with you guys about all that stuff uh, because we have a lot to learn as a society as a society when it comes to technology and how it affects us so yeah i'm looking forward to it but i'm also like terrified of like where a lot of this is going to lead us any parting thoughts jess um i love all the avatars on our screen right now um love them yeah love them. good job good work everyone <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it's, it feels like this is Facebook laying the groundwork for what it wants to be the future of, you know, how it makes money. That's fine. I hope mm -hmm. that other companies, other smaller developers, um, other groups can take that idea and turn it into some place that I actually want to hang out in and, and do, do things with it that are, because it is an intriguing idea. We this is where we're going. Like Facebook sees that, and that's fine. I just don't want to hang out in in the metaverse. Uh, but yeah. I would hang out with people uh, in a different digital space than we currently have. So yeah, it's I don't trust Facebook. The end. <laughs> the end. The end. I think that's the conclusion for a lot of people. We'll be following all this stuff. Uh, Jess, where can people find you on the internet these days? Uh, Twitter at Jess Condit. And Instagram, Jess L. Condit. And on Gadget, too. Keep an oh, eye on all your, your, yeah, so much stuff. So much stuff. Thank you, Jess, for joining us. Thanks, guys. In other news, uh, we've still got a couple more updates from Microsoft's Ignite conference. Uh, they they were talking about more than just the metaverse. Uh, they announced Microsoft Loop, which is this new app that's going to be in Office applications. Uh, it is kind of hard to talk about. I, I don't know if you guys remember, we've talked about Fluid Framework, which is this idea Microsoft has been kind of pushing around uh, a way of like de-atomizing the Office document. Uh 
the idea is that eventually Office documents won't just be a Word file or a PowerPoint file or an Excel spreadsheet or something. It could be kind of a union of everything. And Fluid Framework is this idea where you could plop a table into an email or a Word document and then plop that same table into another document. And the fields and all the updates in that are synchronized across both documents. So it's a sort of like very interesting synchronized way of working together. Um, up until now, we've only seen parts of this in Office, uh, in Outlook for the web. But now they're talking about Loop being this whole new way of uh, bringing it to the next versions of Office. And it's basically that same idea of Fluid Framework. You're going to have Loop components, which Microsoft calls atomic units of productivity. And those can include okay. anything from like a simple list to a Dynamics 365 project, which is like a huge database. Does this, how, how does this make you feel, Ben? Is your brain exploding when, you, when I'm talking about this? Uh, um, I don't know what atomic units of productivity mean. Well, the thing yeah. that I'm imagining mm -hmm. is, you know, how you have quote blocks in an email. Uh, now absolutely. you can just have an entire Word document in that quote block. You can click on it to open it, edit it, and then send it back. Is mm -hmm. that anything similar to what they might be imagining? So I think the idea is uh, take that idea of document and just like explode it, you know, just supernova it. Because what, what, where we're going, we won't need documents, okay? <laughs> yeah. Because the idea is that you have these little bits of data that you can plug into many, you know, many just different things. So say you have that email, you plug in a table, that same table is in a Word document, and whatever, so, if somebody's adding some details into it from the email, somebody's adding some details into it from a Word document, it's all kind of fully synchronized. It's it's It kind of prevents duplicating work efforts and some people working on older data or something like that. It could be really useful for plugging in like spreadsheet entries too. Um, but yeah, th th that's the basic idea. We don't know if any of this is going to work. Um, so you, you've got these loop components, which can be placed in many different office documents. They're going to be loop workspaces, which are going to be sort of like a long running document built with these loops. So it could be anything. It could be like a futuristic looking document, which is just live tables, live spreadsheets, um, actual functioning databases. And uh, they're also talking about this full thing. Um, so how is this mm -hmm. different from OLE? We have a mm -hmm. comment from Andreas Partridge-Rios in the chat saying that this used to be called object linking and embedding in the 80s. And mm -hmm. everything is just iterations, man. What do you think about that? That's a good point. Um, I do feel like uh, hasn't WordPress and a lot of CMSs kind of gone in that loop now, too, where if you're working on a WordPress, if you have a recent WordPress page, you get these like blocks of content and you're just like pasting blocks up and around different things. I feel like it's similar to that, but no, I, I don't have full experience with OLE. I do think now is probably a good time to think about like rethink the way we are considering office documents and the way documents work, um, word and everything. And the basics of productivity software go back to the eighties and go back to like those basic word processing, um, <laughs> apps and things like VisiCalc, uh, very, very basic concepts that we haven't really broken through in, in mm -hmm. a very long time. So yeah. I, I could see Microsoft doing something to kind of play around with this differently. I think the least charitable way of looking at this is that this is just Google Wave all over again. And I think that was... <laughs> that was I was just French. thinking about yeah. Google Wave like a couple mm -hmm. of days ago. It, what, I what about had not Wave? seen very cool. much about it. Ahead this. of its time, I'd say. I think one of my first podcast i use google wave to like collaborate with a group of people and be like hey this is how we're gonna do the flow of conversation and stuff wave was really cool it was perhaps too ahead of its time i think most people looked at that thing and were like how wh what do i do with this so i can do multiple people writing in a document at the same time and it's all like very fluid and like the conversation just flows a little differently um I think Wave was a tough nut to crack and people just didn't know what to do with it. Maybe now we've got slightly better, you know, a better idea of like breaking down aspects of a document. Um, let me just round out what how how Loop works. So actually, the thing I was talking about before, those are called Loop pages. Loop pages are where we, you see a bunch of your components and Loop, uh, loop workspaces are going to be these like, um, I guess, sort of like when you're looking at a Microsoft Teams or like a Slack grouping of documents or something. Um, that's where you're going to be able to get, you're going to be able to see all the components 
everybody in your team or office are working on as well. So I don't know. I don't know what this is going to look like. All I've seen are some videos and some animated GIFs from Microsoft. I haven't touched this stuff. Um, it seems like the sort of thing that would work if everybody on your team knew knew how to take advantage of this stuff. But looking at how people barely understand Google Docs or like track changes, um, the more higher end features in any word processing document, uh, I don't know. I don't know what any of this is going to lead to. You tell us, audience, would you like a new way of thinking of Office documents or is this getting too complicated? Ben, like from your perspective, I don't know how often you deal with like just normal document stuff. Does this seem like it could be useful to you? So I work mostly on like through Google Docs Mm -hmm. and there have been times when I've used SharePoint and uh, like oh, Microsoft, other Microsoft products. Yeah. And so looking at this GIF that we have embedded on the mm-hmm. Engadget article for this, there's just something that I don't like about SharePoint. It looks like SharePoint and it makes me uncomfortable. Well, SharePoint I don't is really know disaster. why. Yeah. SharePoint is a disaster because it's sort of like um, Google Docs is easy, right? You just... You go to your Google Docs, somebody shares you a document, you go, you go to the Google, you know, you go to Google Drive or something and you could just start working on it. SharePoint is this sort of like... It's just, janky. It takes a while to update it's sometimes. It's weird... It, yeah, it's not, it's not instant. It's not like Google Docs. SharePoint also relies on this like nested layers of permissions and stuff. So even logging into a SharePoint file or drive is a nightmare. I, I have nightmares about it. I have to <laughs> occasionally I have to like log into Microsoft's corporate SharePoint to get stuff for news. And even the way they connect my account doesn't work half the time. It's weird. It's like they've done something where I have to connect with like Google authentication, even though my Microsoft account does not work, like doesn't work through Google. But it's a Gmail address, so I don't know. SharePoint is a disaster. So that's that's one of the reasons where I'm like, I don't know if I trust fully Microsoft's vision of the future here. Uh, how about you, Ben? Like, you're, you're, it sounds like just now from you. So, I yeah, I used to work for an advertising agency a long time ago now. And uh, the weird thing about using SharePoint at an advertising agency is that you have a lot of assets, a lot of documents, a yep. lot of images, things being updated really dynamically. Mm -hmm. And people saying, you know, when you're getting close to the end of a a deadline for a client, you might be updating your new creative to present to them right before the meeting, you know, three or four times in like a couple of hours. And the fact that that doesn't completely sync as fast as you might want it, I, I, I had... I had conniptions over it. I mm-hmm. it was just really bad and just looking at this makes it look like what if Google Docs and SharePoint combined and mm-hmm. I would rather have more Google Docs than SharePoint to be honest. Yeah, but what if Google Wave and SharePoint combined? The things nobody likes all matched together. There were a bunch of other announcements too. We 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 have heard uh, first of all they announced a couple of months ago that they acquired Clipchamp, which is a web-based video editing tool. Uh, This week, they said that ClipChamp is going to be directly integrated into Office, which is kind of cool. So you'll be able to, like, actually manage, um, you know, manage your videos from within Word and PowerPoint as well. PowerPoint is also getting built-in audio recording, so you can, like, self-narrate your presentations and you don't have to just do it in person all the time. That could be useful. That could be useful if you have, like, if you want to have a remote view of your presentation, right? Like, uh, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I of think this that's man? actually highly useful yes. because mm-hmm. there are people who would really like to be able to just send a PowerPoint off and have it walk well away. narrated. Yeah, yeah, w- yeah, be able to walk away. Maybe they're not okay with speaking in front of crowds, mm-hmm. but they're totally fine with like recording in their bedroom or something. Um, and having deeper integration of any kind of audio content with PowerPoint just seems like it Mm -hmm. is really smart because sometimes audio doesn't always play with PowerPoint also. So maybe Mm -hmm. this means that they're also working on uh, just better integration of sound with PowerPoint in general. I think so. I think so. And it's sort of like it, it could help with asynchronous working too. You want to send a presentation to somebody on another time zone or on the other side of the planet. And you don't have time to step through the presentation with them. That could be useful. It could be useful for like internal documentation too. Like if you're just charting how you do something uh, for your company, 
all that stuff seems useful. Um, I think we're going to expect to see a lot of that coming next year into Office. Um, not the most exciting news from Ignite, but, you know, th this is one of those for Microsoft. This is mostly a corporate um, and business-oriented event. This yeah. is B2B to the max. B2B, and we're going to hear some E eventually in the next few weeks, some education news from Microsoft too. So going to keep our eyes out for all of that stuff. My big question is still whether or not someone is going to try to make a podcast in this <laughs> share, this I'm, PowerPoint uh, audio. Would that, would that uh, be thing. a win? That would kind of be a, if somebody. It would could be make an the, interesting use of the form, and yeah. also you also it, you, like you could use that for very interesting creative ways. Like mm -hmm. if you are a, a comedian, and PowerPoint comedy has gotten more and more popular <laughs> over the last yeah. few years. So imagine you're a comedian who has their beats really well mapped out. So you're doing PowerPoint comedy, and then you have pre-recorded cues in PowerPoint to add extra laughs or you could even have like a character inside the powerpoint presentation there are lots of creative uses for mm -hmm. this new integration that i would be really interested in seeing how people end up using it i mean we've talked about too the the podcast industry is also just kind of nation there there is no like there have been many companies that have tried to do like hey uh i don't know if it was audio boom or one of those but one of those that like you know Hey, just record with your phone. That's a podcast, baby. Um, there have been a lot of ways to simplify it, but if you could like build it into PowerPoint around presentations, around like a timeline people are already used to, do decent support for like microphones and stuff, like it could be cool and export it as a podcast file, uh, as an audio file that can go into a podcast feed or something. That could be something. Maybe I, I could just see Microsoft making a whole a whole separate app for it that's way too complicated because that's the Microsoft way of doing things. Let's move on to some other news. And uh, some fun stuff dropped this week. Uh, I just want to point out Ford's a classic F100 truck. Uh, they electrified it as a concept. And it looks <laughs> okay. super cool. It looks super cool. The F100 Illuminator concept... Uh, this is it's upgrading the like 1978 era design of the F100 um, to 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 make it a super electric machine. So inside it's like it looks very modern. It has a modern interface. It has, you know, nice seats and everything. But from the outside, it looks like you took this car from 40 years ago plus uh, and yeah, and are now driving on the road. Kind of a cool idea. What do you what do you think of this, Ben? The interior looks like it could have been from Watchmen. Sure. You know yeah, how yeah. they did a really good job of having cars that kind of looked lived in and classic, but also like everything was electrified mm -hmm. because Dr. Manhattan like just brought us into a new era of cleaner energy. You're talking about HBO's Watchmen, yeah. Yes, HBO's Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. This is but, a very retro future. Is, yeah, I yeah. am like, could you have done something to the exterior <laughs> to like put in some accents that make it feel nah. more retro futuristic? Nah. Because otherwise, <laughs> this feels like something that is only directed at like the super fans who work inside the company, maybe even upper level executives, and some of the big Ford super fans. Uh, who've just been buying cars from the company uh, for a really long time. Does this catch the eye of anyone who is just like, oh, yeah, it kind of looks like it's a jalopy, but it's electrified? Uh, I think it's a cool idea. Certainly, uh, maybe nobody remembers this, but I was a big Knight Rider fan growing up uh, as a kid. And I think it was 1991 or 92. Uh, there was the Knight Rider 2000 movie. And when it, that was a weird thing. That was like weird sci-fi minority report like stuff going on in that movie. But uh, one of the cool things they did that's always stuck with me is at some point Michael Knight shoved the brains of Kit into like a 1950s era car. So it's, you have the smart car, you have the brains of Kit uh, in this really old looking jalopy thing. And it was always a cool idea. Uh, it certainly looked cooler than the weird like red boat car that they pitched as being the future kit in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, nobody has seen this. No, nobody remembers this thing exists, but if you have, if you have the Knight Rider DVDs, uh, it was a special feature that they threw back on there. 
I think they could have done something to the headlights. Like mm. they really doubled down on the headlights and the grill being exactly the same. And one of the things that is so iconic about a Tesla right now mm -hmm. is the fact that it doesn't have a front grill because it doesn't really need air intake in the, the same place. You got to have the grill. You, you got to have the look. Yeah. I think they could have done something maybe with the headlights to make you say, wow, this is a different kind of car. Those are probably But it also LEDs. has the grill to mm -hmm. make you feel like, oh, mm -hmm. okay, you know, it's the same, um, you know, huge engine that needs a lot of airflow. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, this picture is, we're looking in daylight, but it's very easy for that to make that headlight be the shape you remember. But when you turn it on, it's just like a blazing bright LED, you know, that has a really cool shape uh, that looks different once it's powered up and electrified. That could be kind of cool. Um, I think the idea here is that Ford is uh, some of these, I, some of these, some of the tech in this may be something you could buy if you want to retrofit an F100 that you already own. And a lot of people are doing this thing where they take older cars and they just try to make them electric. Like the, uh, like the, the. The granola nerds who were turning, you know, gas cars into like, um, was it natural? Biodiesel. Bio yeah, like 10, 10 years ago, yeah. it was the same thing, but people were converting <laughs> gas cars, especially like VW microbuses. Mm -hmm. It was uh, more viable to do this with... Uh, what is it, diesel engines yep. than it was with anything else. And yep. so like the old like VW cars, especially like bugs and microbuses, you could, you know, make them run on uh, basically like old French fry oil or something. Absolutely. You, you now get I guess people are doing up. it with um, lithium ion batteries. Hey, we'll, we'll see. I mean, look at the bed of that truck. That's a good place to just lay down some batteries, you know, and still have some storage on that car. So it's a cool idea. I, I I would love to see more like ways to electrify our vehicles. Um, hey, I, I used to live in Western Massachusetts for a very long time, and those biodiesel retrofits were a very popular thing. They were everywhere, and uh, it seemed like a cool idea at the time. Now it's more like, yeah, let's go electric. Let's get plug-in hybrids, more things on the road that aren't burning gas as gas prices are getting higher. So I think this is a cool idea. Let us know which classic car you'd like to see retrofitted as an EV at podcastinggadget.com. One quick thing I want to just drop here. Um, have you ever wanted a designer pair of jeans <laughs> that have no functioning pockets except for a tiny pocket that barely holds your cell phone? Um that would be that would be what Samsung just revealed. Something that's coming to Australia. Uh, these are these are designer jeans, and they are the Z Flip Pocket Denim. Is a crazy idea that they created basically to market um, the Galaxy Z Flip Three. Uh, they're they're jeans. They're fancy jeans, but in true Samsung fashion, I think they're like ultimately very impractical and not the sort of thing anybody's looking for um would you would you want to buy a pair of these dumb jeans ben um no absolutely <laughs> not uh although like this is one of the thicker phones am i correct well in it's that? a z flip 3 so it's not the z fold it's not the one oh, that kind okay. of folds yes, thin. yes that's this a, that's is one's right, a little right. chunky when it it's kind of tall and it flips in half uh so it's when you when it's closed it's a little chunkier sure and it has a little little pocket right above your knee just to uh, pop in that flipped Galaxy phone. Uh, it's still sticking out a little. Uh, this would not be a great idea if you lived in New York or something. Um, it's basically saying, steal me, right? Yeah, and where is it? Is it... Okay, so it's on the front of the jeans, yep. right? Yep. Uh, sure. Um, and it's designed to make sure that the phone like pokes <laughs> out a little bit? Yep. I can only imagine the meetings that they had because there was probably like the first version of it was probably oh and mm -hmm. it fits perfectly inside your jeans and it won't fall out and someone said yes but can you see that this is the pocket specifically for our illustrious z flip phone and so they went back to the drawing board and they had to make the pocket a little bit shorter so it could poke out just that much okay I don't I don't know. It's a thing. Um these are these are kind of a press stunt, but uh, there are 450 pairs. They're going to be real and they could be yours if you buy them I believe only in Australia. 
But if you pay uh, $14.99 Australian dollars or around $1,112 in the US, <laughs> you'll you get the phones, too much money you'll get the phone and jeans. the jeans. And the phones actually sell for around $1,000. Okay. So it's okay. actually a deal on oh, wait. Okay. useless so phones, the, on useless jeans. The, okay, the phone is the $1,000. Yes. Okay, that's you're just paying slightly more way to, to get these jeans that okay. can only All hold right. the phone. Uh, okay, so you're actually paying the normal amount for the Z Flip, the normal and, and the normal amount yeah. for a relatively designer pair of jeans in the sure. neighborhood of a hundred something dollars. I've never, and I've never bought a hundred dollar jeans. I feel like I, I don't know. That was a thing for a while in New York, and certainly more expensive than that. Um, but yeah, if that's vaguely affordable to you, that's not a bad, this isn't a bad deal. You'll be the only one in your block with Z jeans. All I said that this is that this was a normal amount for designer jeans. I didn't say whether or not I wanted to pay anything <laughs> for them. And before we finish talking about this, I absolutely need to say the very easy thing, which is that women are still asking for pockets, and now phone has a pocket of its own. Phone has a pocket. But on the other yeah. hand, that means that a women's pair of these jeans will finally have at least one pocket deep enough to hold... At least ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of their phone, which is better than mm -hmm. some female pockets right now. For sure, I think they may have stitched the back pocket closed too, which is the place where a lot of people hold their phones as well. So, why do you do that? Why? You want to sit on your phone? I guess people don't know. People outside of uh, like New York and big cities still sit a lot because they're sure. still um, like driving around in cars. I even, don't get why you would put it in even the back on pocket. even people on the subway. And actually, it's a thing. It's a thing I got really good at in New York because I would be like standing around and I'm like I get I got my like situational awareness New Yorker sense going right. I'm like okay okay tourists over here, you know shady person by the door. I don't know so there's something going on, and I would see people with like their phones just like sticking out of their back pocket, just like saying steal me, steal me for the person by the door to just like take it and run. And then I would see the person by the door kind of like inch up towards this person. So I like I normally get the the person who has the phone, I get their attention. I'm like, watch out for your phone. And then they're like, oh. And the person by the door just runs away. So it's a thing. Watch out for back pocket phone phone stuff, people. And don't buy phone cases with wallets. Oh, my God. That's another thing. Bad. Bad for New York. Bad for cities. Let's move on to what we're working on. It's really just me this week. Uh, I am testing out the Amazon Glow. Very unique device. So previously... We have seen these sort of like um, kid tablet projector things where you would slide in a tablet and um, and just like, you know, a projector will spit an image down on a table and the kid can play with that and use the tablet together, usually for video conferencing or something like that. Uh, what Amazon did, and this is where I got a little confused as I was like covering some of this stuff, they've released a device that just has it all kind of combined. So... The Glow has an 8-inch um, LCD screen. Um, it spits out a 19-inch touch-sensitive space, and a kid can play with that. It works together with, um, I believe, iPad and Android app. So somebody on the receiving end will have a tablet that they can interact with a kid. And it's a cool idea. Uh, I know, Ben, you were talking with me before. You were wondering if it has something like center stage to... Uh, to basically center a kid and keep them in view. Because kids yeah. never stop moving, that's why. I don't know. I don't know if it does that. Um, I think the idea, as from when I've talked about it with Amazon, the idea is that having an activity space right in front of the camera is the thing that's keeping them there. And judging from what I've seen with my daughter, like you give her something to play with, like Legos or Play-Doh, uh, she, she will just sit there and be there for hours happily. So I think that's the key here. We will see if that works at all. Um, but Ben, I believe you had something you want to talk about for a pop culture <laughs> pick. Please, please illuminate us. Okay, so I listen to lots of different kinds of music, <laughs> but my real home base, the thing that got me through middle school and high school is like really like heavily textured and rhythmic music um, that makes you want to punch holes in walls. Um, I you, There was something when I first heard Hybrid Theory uh -huh. by 
Lincoln Park that just like <laughs> scratched my brain in the right place. Uh-huh. Um, just hearing someone scream their head off into a microphone, I was like, I am never going to stop listening to mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last few years, I've like taken a sabbatical from that. Um, not listened to nearly as much metal. People, someone is going to roll their eyes at me because they're going to say, "Oh, well, Lincoln Park isn't metal." Believe me, I went on from there. I listened. <laughs> you have everybody has their gateways. It's okay. Yes, yeah, but okay. So what I want to tell people about right now is the album "Glow On" by mm-hmm. Turnstile. Uh, it's a hardcore band. Mm-hmm. They are they're from Baltimore. And they, this album has just completely changed my life in the last couple of weeks. It okay. has brought me back to heavy and dense music. <laughs> uh, let's keep in mind, this is a hardcore album. So these are not completely screamed vocals. It's more like heavy yelling and sometimes singing. And the singing mm-hmm. is what is considered a step forward for the genre i feel i feel also, like some ben, electronic this is, elements this is a good spot for for you uh during the podcast to maybe just drop in a little clip but please please watch the volume before you freak out all of our listeners <laughs> like uh at a quarter volume you <laughs> give us a track Definitely listen to Blackout. If anyone needs like just a totally left field way of getting into this album in this band, it feels like basically every song on this album could be in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. <laughs> okay. It's really excellent. Go back and listen to their album before this, Time and Space from 2018. Um, it just felt so great to come back to what felt like a musical home for me. Listen to Glow On by Turnstile. Thank you so much for that, Ben. You should talk to James True at Engadget at some point because he's our resident hard uh, hardcore expert. Also used to be a music journalist, so like dude is dude is like it in like in the thick of it. So he is a lot of fun. Uh, he's in the UK, right? He's in Spain right now. So maybe we'll oh. get James on the podcast at some point. I want to talk about just real quick, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the uh the second Marvel game from Square Enix. And uh hey, this one's good. So I just want to say that it's uh it's from Eidos Montreal. It's the folks who've been working on the uh, the Deus Ex, the recent Deus Ex games, and um, unlike the Avengers game, which I don't think I've ever talked about here, that game had like some cool intros. I'm glad it like featured Kamala Khan and stuff, but uh, it, that game was not great. Like that game was uh, bogged down by um, weird weird game mechanics, and like it just didn't feel good. Um, this one actually captures the heart of Guardians of the Galaxy. You actually feel like you are Star-Lord and part of this team. and You guys are traveling around the universe uh, on missions and adventures. It owes a lot to James Gunn's aesthetic from the MCU Mar- uh, Guardians movies. Uh, but the characters also look very different, too. So it's kind of a combination of it. Um, his The Rocket Raccoon in this game is basically rocket from the mcu like everything groot and drax and everything um i am they change some of the mythology uh, they go with the comics mythology uh i believe in the marvel in the comics drax is the one who killed thanos so like they're going with that um the peter quill background is a little different but it gets the heart of what i love about guardians of the galaxy, which is these core, these characters who are great, who are kind of a found family who love each other going on adventures, you know, doing fun stuff. Uh, this implements some, like some slight, like telltale, uh, elements where like you can choose, uh, make choices for characters and, you know, actually try to direct the story a bit too. So I really appreciated that. Um, and speaking yeah. of music, there's mm-hmm. a cassette tape in that game, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like with a ton of original music for this game. <laughs> Well, there is a there is a fake band called Star Lord that young Peter Quill listened to, and they made like fifteen to twenty songs for that too. 
So like that plays. There's a lot of licensed music as well. It is definitely like the James Gunnification of Guardians is basically like cool retro music. Um, you know, a lot of quippiness, um, a lot of style and neon colors, and it certainly gets that like mixtape vibe down well. Uh, I would say I'm liking this game more than Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was kind of a weird mishmash of a movie. It's worth playing, especially if you're a Marvel fan or you just want something a little different. The gameplay is like a little hit or miss. Maybe wait until it's on sale or something, because like the actual shooting and running around and fighting enemies, it's fine. It's not that great, but. I like interacting with these characters and exploring the universe with them. And the writing is really good. Um, It's just like a fun experience. So if you miss like cool single player game, that's like very tight and not just something about like getting you to be on multiplayer forever. Check this out. It's worth playing. And real quick, I just want to shout out to Last Night in Soho, the latest film from Edgar Wright. I reviewed that on the Filmcast podcast and uh, I really enjoyed it save for like some incoherence towards the end and the way it treats certain characters. It's an Edgar Wright movie. It is gorgeous to look at. It has an incredible soundtrack and there's stuff in here, like certain sequences that just feel miraculous in terms of how he shot them and how he got them. So it's definitely worth a watch if you can safely see it in theaters, but it'll probably be on video on demand too. So I think it's worth checking out. Uh, Any interest in this, Ben? You said that the end didn't make sense. No. And the follow-up that I forgot to ask is there are a lot of movies that don't make sense by the end, but they're enough of a vibe that you don't care. The vibe is Is good. Is that the case here? The vibe is very good. I like the vibe. Um, There are things I wish they had not done at the end. Like certain parts in the last act just don't make sense. And then the ending, I understand. It's just not great for some of those characters. But hey, check out my full review at the film cast and uh, you can hear what I think about it there. Thanks for joining us for this episode, folks. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at Devendra on Twitter. Where can people find you, Ben? You can find me on Twitter at HeyBellman, but I gotta admit, I'm not on there so much anymore uh-huh. because it's bad for my brain. I mean, Twitter, the social media is bad for your brain, people. Take breaks. Uh, you can email us at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. 